Rock and roll, baby. All right, okay. We are in business. You want to do the intro? Yeah, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Actually a Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm DJ. And today we are continuing our learning journey covering John Verveke's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis series. This is episode six, Aristotle Kant and Evolution. And so, (laughs) quick story. This is the third time we've started the stream over today, and it's now 8.30. It was supposed to start at 8. Uh, so for all those listening in the future, um, you you got to miss all of that. Yeah. Oh, it was- so a- anybody that is actually tuning back in now, thank you so much for actually joining us today. It's uh, it's a little bit of a learning process getting this whole thing running, but every single episode we get better. So I'm happy with that, and I'm happy for all of you that have been joining us. And listening and joining in on this learning journey. Yes, much appreciated. Yeah. So last episode, it was Plato in the cave. Yeah. Um, which the cave was. Uh, grab my notebook. Was uh, Plato's, you know, love tale to his great teacher, uh, Socrates. Mm-hmm. Um, and Plato's conundrum that drove him to. Well, I won't say drove him to awaken, but which was his great awakening point was having, you know, somebody he loved and respected so much killed by the state that he loved and respected so much. Mm-hmm. And that that's a position to be in, too. You know, it's a, you know, on, on a on a superficial note, it would be like, you know, like you got a friend's group and two people of your friend's group were beefing. You love them both, but. But now maximize that um, to the entire city and yeah. state that you live in. Yeah, yeah. And so Socrates conundrum. Yeah, Socrates uh, had this incredible realization that he was trying to share with the people, and he ended up getting himself killed for it. He was making up strange gods. He was actually giving moral virtues to the gods, which, which hadn't been done in this way before. It showed that the sophists really didn't uh, want to listen to the oracles because the oracle of Delphi was like. They, when asked, you know, yeah, is, is Socrates the wisest man? It was a firm yes, yes not yes, like yes, he is. some mystical whatever. Then they, but asked, like a then firm they told yes. him this, and he was like, "Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, you know, I yeah. just know what I don't but know." But if the gods basically. say I am, but I feel like I'm not, that's Socrates' paradox conundrum yeah. that his pivotal awakening point, if you will, and then Plato's pivotal awakening point was seeing his beloved teacher mm-hmm. destroyed by his beloved state yes and all socrates was in, was doing was encouraging self-inquiry and realizing that we are actually the cause of so much that's happening but there are ways that we can become more virtuous and the gods can exemplify this yeah for us and that was a very dangerous notion at the time yeah, so he got don't himself you go killed. changing those gods yeah uh, people get angry yeah, what did he say when they had him on the stand and they told him, you, you just stop, just stop. And he was like, a oh, life. A, a life, what is it? A life unexamined is not a not life worth living. Worth living. Yeah, something yes, like that. Yeah. yes. An unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that, that's true, though. It's like how numb, how numb and just unfulfilled do you feel when you don't question anything about your life? You know, mm-hmm. for some of our viewers, maybe you've, you know, worked in a... Yeah, because the way Socrates thought, this it's now a normal way of thinking for us all. Yeah. We think about how am I progressing in my life. Well, and then when we don't, like, we, we suffer. We feel bad. We suffer. We suffer for yeah. it. You know, that's where the dead-end job and all the, you know, the just nine-to-five thing that's mm-hmm. a lot of us are Sucking battling the with. the soul out of us. Yeah. yeah well, there's no meaning in it, really. You know, you're no. not. And a no, lot of times really you're told not, little, you're told not to question. Times. 
Which, you know, we're, we're, we're curious, uh, we're curious apes. We question things. We really are, man. We really are. <laughs> so we, we explored Plato's allegory of the cave. We learned about movies like The Matrix that retell this story, and it's still super attractive and meaningful for us. And uh, I'm just on here making sure I share this thing up. <laughs> Got to make sure everything's going, going, going. Yeah. So the, the, many, st- many the start of this whole reason why we're late was actually because we had everything going, and when we went to play the video, no sound. Video was muted. So we thought we crashed the system. Turns we out that we had an audio issue. Yeah, it turns out YouTube mute. You know, that's a, that's yeah. the thing. That was it. Yeah, it's uh, just a mute button. So one mute button costs 30 minutes. It's okay. It's okay. Learning These things happen. Time. These things do happen. We are on a learning journey, aren't we? Always, always awakening. It never ends. There's no cap to human enlightenment. And that's actually a beautiful thing. I like that. Yeah, it would be terrifying. Really like it would that. be terrifying if there was a finite end to enlightenment and to anything. You know, that's one thing that like kind of freaks me out is thinking mm-hmm. of a universe that has an end to it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, like, no end to how much we can improve ourselves. Yeah. What how hap- much we can improve? What happens our when world. you get to the end? Really? Well, that's it. That's as far as you can go. And then, well, that's the way we get caught into thinking sometimes is we think that we're just static beings. Like this is just the way I am. You know, say I'm, I'm only into rock music. I'm not into country or something like that. Well, why not? Maybe you haven't heard the right song yet. And so in that way, we're, we're actually quite amorphous. Our characters can be developed over time and we can change. You know, I've gone from a very, very shy person from a young age to somebody now that gets up on stage and actually sings in front of people, which is one of the most. You even twirl and get down on one knee. It's impressive. Oh, man. Yeah. We, see uh, we were rocking. We just had a great show up at Zen West. This past Friday, and yeah, yeah, it was a joy. It was an amazing experience. Some other incredible bands were there. Um, we had Analog, we had Heal, and then we had uh, the Alice in Chains tribute band. God, what was their name? Sea of Sorrow. Sea of Sorrow, and they, man, they, they like sounded just like Alice in Chains. They were amazing. They were really good. It was good. funny to watch. Yeah, too, look them up. Their singer, like if, you know, you spotted them walking down the street, you wouldn't, you, you know, you wouldn't expect. Um, that voice coming out of no. him. No. Yeah, he just like, you know, like, look, looks like, like that, a normal dude. dude, and then he's just like... I was you know. in shock. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's like, damn, man. Yeah. And they're all really That's cool impressive. people, too. All the bands, everybody was really cool, and, and the venue is amazing. And uh, shout out to Poe, owner of Zen West. You're doing something really special there, brother. Mm. I actually got to see the secret tequila bar, and then the other secret downsta- downstairs, like, chill area that you can only enter through a telephone booth. That is a really cool bar. I didn't I even mean, know the tequila bar existed or the downstairs area, for that matter. It's like I felt like Alice in Wonderland walking know, through right? there. Yeah, yeah. they they lost me at the end of the night because I was off running around with Poe and <laughs> showing me around. I figure you're you know, rubbing shoulders. I was literally the, underground. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, underground. No, 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 me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, I think that's a that's a good bit of uh, rehash of the last yeah. episode, and we can just jump right back into mm-hmm. it now. So this is episode six of Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, Aristotle, Kant, and Evolution. Welcome back uh, to Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. 
So last time we discussed the important uh, and foundational work of Plato. Uh, the grammar of Western civilization is basically made up uh, of the, the Bible and Plato. Uh, we'll, we'll keep coming back to both of those uh, uh, repeatedly in certain ways. And we talked about uh, Plato's notion of wisdom and how it involved this process of aligning uh, the psyche so as to reduce uh, inner conflict and reduce self-deception uh, by bullshitting ourselves and that how that enabled us to also achieve one of our meta desires, the desire for inner peace, but how we could also align that reduction in self-deception with getting uh, more in contact with what's real and that as we practice tracking real patterns in the world, we could then reflectively internalize that back on ourselves. And there was an intimate connection between how we knew the world and knew ourselves. And as we increased our ability to pick up on real patterns, we could increase our self-knowledge, reduce our self-deception, increase our contact with reality, and that would flow in the process of anagoge. And that would bring about the satisfaction of our second meta-desire, which is to be in contact with realness. And so Plato has this idea of wisdom as this anagogic process, and we talked about that in, in connection with his great parable, uh, the parable of the cave. I then pointed out that uh, he had, uh, just as Socrates was lucky to have a great disciple in Plato, uh, Plato was lucky to have a great disciple in Aristotle. And Aristotle is pivotal for us because he lays the foundation uh, for a, uh, further uh, aspects of a scientific approach uh, to wisdom and meaning and also for an important uh, uh, formulation uh, of one of the ways in which we deeply connect the self to reality that we're going to talk about when we talk about worldview attunement. So as I mentioned, Aristotle was a student of Plato. He studies with Plato for about 20 years. Uh, and then at some point, he breaks away from Plato, famously cla claiming that while I love Plato, I love the truth more. Uh, Aristotle uh, remained, and many people would argue this, uh, Gerson, for example, and others, that uh, Aristotle remains in, in some very important senses a Platonist. But there was an aspect of Plato's work that Aristotle uh, thought was uh, lacking. Plato did not really adequately account for change. So Aristotle was deeply influenced by Plato's account of what made for something real for us, but he thought that Plato wasn't, could not really explain uh, change very well, and he was going to invent some very important concepts that are going to become integral to our understanding of what it is uh, to be meaningfully connected to reality. Now, Aristotle is very influenced by his uh, father, who is a physician. He's much more of a biologist than a mathematician, so while Plato is much more uh, prone to using mathematical analogies, uh, uh, Aristotle is much more used to uh, using biological analogies. And the word that Aristotle uses for change is actually better translated as growth or development. Aristotle was really interested in how living things grow, how they develop. And that should... That should prick up your ears right away, because part of, I take it, what we often mean when we say we have a meaningful life is that we are growing or developing. In fact, people will often use the word growth as a way of indicating an improvement in the meaning of their life and, in some sense, the developing of wisdom. So Aristotle picks up 
on Plato's notion of the eidos. So if you remember last time we talked about this. We talked about th that a bird is much more than the set of its features. It's not just a beak, it's not just some feathers. It's this gestalt, it's that structural, functional organization such that all the parts function together as a whole and so what you have is something that acts as a bird. And that pattern, that logos, that eidos, is very hard actually to put into words, but it's very much what does two things for us. It's what makes a bird a bird, and it's also the pattern by which we come to know what a bird is. When we can grasp the structural functional organization, that eidos, then we understand what a bird is. Now Aristotle was uh, very impressed by that, but he wanted to give it a more dynamical approach. He wanted to talk about it in terms of development. And so he was very interested, as I said, in how things grow. And he noted the role that form had in growth and development. So he, what he did was he first started by an analogy. So he would use the analogy of artifacts, human-made things, and then use that to try and understand biological things. So, for example, I can have a block of wood, right, and I can make it into a chair or perhaps a table, or if it's a big enough amount of wood, I can make it into a ship or a boat. And Aristotle asked, what makes the wood behave like a chair as opposed to a table or to a ship? And this is where we get the notion of actuality from. We often use the word actuality, in fact, as a way of talking about realness. It's an actual something, as a way of saying it's a real something, as opposed to a fraud or a simulation. So what makes a chair act like a chair? Why does the wood act like a chair here, act like a table here, and act like a ship here? And so Aristotle said, well, first of all, this is important change. And it's a good analogy for development. When I'm making a chair, that's somehow analogous for how an organism is growing. So what is it that makes the wood act like a chair here and act like a table here? And his argument was, well, it's the form. Again, where this means eidos, not shape, although you can use shape as an analogy. This is the structural functional organization. The wood is structurally functionally organized in such a way that it will act like a chair, whereas here it will act like a table and here it will act like a ship. Now, Aristotle's point is that this doesn't, it's not that this doesn't play any role, but he invents this really important idea. He invents the idea that the wood is potential these terms, actual and potential, actually come from Aristotle. We use them every day. We think they're just part of our natural grammar, but they're actually an invention of Aristotle. We're going to see how important uh, they are. So the idea is wood is potentially a chair, wood is potentially a table, wood is potentially a ship. Now, when that potential has a particular form given to it, then it starts acting like a chair, it starts acting like a table, and acting like a ship. And this is where we get the notion of information from. You put a form into something and you will actualize its potential. Namely, you will give it a structural functional organization so it will start to act in a particular 
manner. Now, that's really important. And then what Aristotle argued is, well, what you see in living things is that they are basically doing this for themselves. So if you use, I just mean this as an analogy, a living thing is like a chair that is making itself. A chair, imagine that a chair could somehow start to impose a structural functional organization on wood so that it started to turn itself into a chair. That's what a living thing does. I mean, you, you, food. Food is potential you. You put food into you, you inform it. There is a code in your DNA that ultimately puts a particular form in it that gives it a structural functional organization that becomes you. Now, of course, this unfolds across time. It's, it, it's not, it's not, it doesn't happen like that, and that's why we see it as change and development. Now, this is really Im important, uh, as we'll see, because it's going to be foundational to understanding a lot about how you connect to the world. So, how are we going to make use of this uh, in talking about the way human beings are connected to reality, the way they develop and grow as cognitive agents? So what I want to do first is to step aside from Aristotle in the Axial Age and move into current cognitive science and talk about an important uh, way of thinking about development and change, uh, especially uh, the work of Alicia Uraro that was directly and explicitly inspired by this Aristotelian framework. So when we talk about how things change, right? We often have a model that we inherited from the scientific revolution, a model we get from Newton. And this is a model that change occurs because of causal impact. So the standard thing, here's this marker, right? I press it. Why did it move? It moved because I pushed it. It seems so obvious and non-controversial, right? So we give an explanation what causes it to be because it was pushed. It was the, and the idea of all uh, change and development is there's an event A, and it somehow right, causes event B, causes event C. Event A precedes B, makes B happen, and then B precedes C, and B makes C happen. So as Newton was engaging in the scientific revolution, this notion of how things happen was becoming prominent in him um, and for uh, the people that was going to take up the Newtonian worldview. Now, what was very interesting about that, right, is that this seemed to solve a lot of problems. And this was brought out by a famous philosopher, Immanuel Kant, who Alicia Uraro talks about. Kant was interested in why was this Newtonian model becoming so successful. The Aristotelian model had been around for thousands of years. Why was Newton's model overtaking it so rapidly? And what Kant said is, well, this does something very wonderful for us. Because what it does is gives us a very simple account of how we explain things. I explain C by showing you how it was preceded by an event B that caused it and how B was preceded by an event A that caused it. 
very nice, linear, clean, and we like and it seems to isn't that what's happening? It's so obvious, right? And again, remember, again and again, I've tried to show you things that seem so obvious, so natural, are actually historical creations. You have to pay attention to how we got where we are. Now, why does this matter? Well, because this prevents a a, a kind of um, vacuous explanation that can occur. This prevents what are called circular explanations. This line, right, prevents circular explanations. Okay, so a circular explanation is when you assume the very thing you're trying to explain in your explanation. So here's a standard kind of model. People often use this without realizing it. You know, there's a triangle out here in the world. The light comes in into my eye. It goes through nerve pulses. That goes into my consciousness, right? It's somehow projected onto an inner screen. And then there's a triangle there. And then there's a little man inside. And he goes, triangle. Right? And we have updated versions of this, like the central executive and such. Right? This is called a homuncular theory. Homunculus means a little man. Now, when you present it like that, I hope you can all see why this is obviously useless. Because what you should then ask is, well, how does the little man see the little triangle inside? And then what you go is, well, inside the little man's head, there's an even smaller screen with a littler man going triangle. But how does he see? The triangle, triangle. You, you see what this is. It's an infinite regress. Because you're actually using vision to try and explain vision. Now, please remember this notion of a homunculator fallacy, because that's what this is. Because while it's easy to explain, I need you to understand that we fall into it very often when we try and understand and explain ourselves. Okay. That is a circular explanation, because you're using the very thing you're trying to explain in order to explain it. Kant said, this Newtonian scheme is wonderful, because if you stick to its grammar, if you stick to its rules, the cause has to be an independent event that proceeds, right? Then you don't fall into circular explanations. That's amazing. Now, you, you've got some problems here. What started it all, right? Right? And, you know, maybe God, and then Kant says no, and he's got all his arguments, and I'm not going to get into that right now. Suffice it to say that this became a predominant way of trying to explain how things work. But then Kant encountered a very significant problem. And it's, it's, and it's not a coincidence that it has to do with the kinds of things we were talking about with Aristotle, the kinds of things that can grow, living things. Because Kant went out and he saw a tree, right? And this was very problematic for him because trees don't follow this model readily. Because he was looking at it and he was saying, okay, well, what's making the tree. Well, it's the sunlight. Well, how does the sunlight get in? Through the leaves. So, right, what's making the leaves? Well, the tree. So the tree makes the leaves, and the leaves make the tree, so the tree is making the tree. And he coined the term self-organizing. The tree is self-organizing. Now, the problem with that is Right? Living things make use of feedback cycles. In a feedback cycle, the output from the system feeds back into the system. The tree makes the leaves, that gathers energy, that goes into the processes that makes the leaves. 
Living things are self-organizing. They use feedback cycles. But when I try and give an explanation of a feedback cycle, I fall into a circular explanation. I fall into a circular explanation. And so Kant came to a rather startling conclusion. He came to the conclusion that there could not be a science of living things, that biology was impossible. Now Kant is, one, one, is a towering intellect, he's, like, he's a genius, a philosophical genius. And so you can't just sort of dismiss that. You can't, well, there obviously is biology. What an idiot Kant is. No, no. You're the one who needs to step back and think, where's the mistake in the argument? Because if there is biology, and it's true that there is, and I agree that there is, right? And that living things use feedback cycles, which they necessarily do. They're self-organizing, which they necessarily are. And when I try and trace out the causation, I get into circular explanation, which seems like a necessary thing. And circular explanations are vacuous and empty. Then where is Kant going wrong? And this is what Alicia Uraro takes up. And she said, actually, for a very long time, we had no way of solving this problem. And so there was a huge gap between our biology and our physics. Now again, why are we caring about this? Because we need to, if we're going to understand Aristotle, if we're going to deeply understand what we mean when we talk about that we are living things that grow and develop, and that growth and development is integral to our meaning and our sense of who and what we are, our personal identity, that if we cannot give an answer to this problem, we cannot understand fundamentally who and what we are and what the hell we are talking about when we talk about how important growth and development are to us. Because that language will forever be separate from any kind of scientific understanding. So, where's this going wrong? This seems just non like living things are feedback cycles self-organizing. They grow, they develop, they, they make themselves. Right? So what, what has to go? Well, this. Now, before you jump and say, but that's just, that's just what causation is. Think about the fact that we know, we actually know that Newton's ultimately wrong. Right? Newton doesn't work with relativity. Newton doesn't work at the quantum level. So we know that we shouldn't be absolutely committed to this view. Now, Uraro actually makes use of an important idea from Aristotle to solve this problem. All right, all right, we're back. Hey, 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 hey. Okay, that's a lot. He actually just sums up so, the meaning yeah. crisis again for us. Yeah, let's, let's, uh, so after the summation, because he did a better job than we'll probably do, but brought it back to Aristotle and you know the the example of wood and its mm -hmm. three potentials in this case yes. you know chair table ship for instance and he, he was asking you know what is it that makes the wood the chair the table the ship mm -hmm. and that's where we're introduced to the potential idea. yes potential the idea of structural functional organization that the potential comes from mm -hmm. um how does this thing act? What is its action? What is its actuality? 
mm-hmm. how it's organized, and that structural, structural, functional organization, that's a tongue twister, uh, comes from the ideas of Logos and Eidos. So this is crazy because then we get the idea of potential and actuality from Aristotle, yeah. something that we all understand now to this day, and that is actually yeah. instrumental to science. And so to like define like potential and actual with each other is the potential as it could possibly be. Like, what could possibly be the chair, be the ship, be the table, uh, be a little doll, be whatever it is. And then mm-hmm. actual is the action. Yeah, but what is its actual action? What what's, shape what's, what's and what is acting? the function yeah, and how is it, it act? act how, how is this wood well, acting? Because here's the thing. You could take that piece of wood and As you, could, piece together, you yeah. could lay it down flat and put something on it. And now it's a table. But then if you take that off and sit on it, now it's a chair. Mm-hmm. It's not big things, you know, but it's still it's like what's the action that's in. And, and this is how we see the world. Mm-hmm. This is how we understand things. Yeah. yeah. And that potential... Well, you know, okay, so... We were able to describe it with Newton when we got into cause and effect. We understand how A leads to B leads to C. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, And he he did the pushing the table, or pushing the pen across the table example. He comes up, he pushes it, Mm -hmm. it goes somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's the information of what happens when that thing happens, the in formation. But... It rolls now that I push it, that's its potential. It has its limit. Yes, because then Kant walks outside and he's like, he sees a tree and he's like, well, how does A B A to B to C doesn't work? Because define the, this, the tree leaves and the leaf trees and yeah, and so you get this natural um, so recursive, recursive cycle yeah. that isn't. And we're trying to avoid circular definitions because yeah, we're trying to understand yeah. how things actually work, so we can build and create and think clearly. Oh, and real quick to the uh, homunculus uh, fallacy to explain that, like easily enough is like if you in the definition of something you assume that its existence already exists within the definition so like um Mm -hmm. uh, i don't know like to describe a a ball you know a a ball is a round object that looks like a ball that's the most basic way i'm not Mm going to use some examples that i'd like to use because canceled (laughs) but it, when we use it a lot, those um, like, uh, what's another good example? Um, uh, <laughs> well, it's okay. basically we're if, trying if she it, if she floats, she's a witch. And oh she yeah, thinks she wasn't go. a witch. Good that's stuff. that's there an inverse go. of that example. But like, well, the idea is that she's always a witch, regardless of it. That's a really bad example. But the the homunculus fallacy we use a lot. It, it's 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 but it discrete. Is, that's a circular it's, definition. It's, it's discrete in its method or yeah. in its existence as well. And we fool ourselves like, with this all the time. We're like, well, it does that because it is that. Yeah. And that actually doesn't explain it. Yeah. Well, it doesn't explain why what what is a triangle. Well, why is it soft? Because it's made out of fibers that are soft. You all that doesn't give me an why answer. Are the fibers to why, soft? The, why are the fibers soft? Because oh, well, they're be- soft. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Yeah. So. So Newton and and Kant are trying. You know, Newton helps us get to the point of understanding how things actually actuate themselves. A to B to C, cause and effect. Uh, Kant uh, basically finds this conundrum, and how do you explain this recursive nature of biology? Of living things, the, how they're self-organizing and have these feedback. Well, cycles. if you're Kant, you say there can't be a science of biology. Like screw this, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make they're any can't. sense. Well, there can't be. No, that's that, that, that. 
it's the chicken or the egg. That's what that is. Like mm-hmm. the, the biology of like, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And Newtonian sure. physics. And that's why he was like, and that goes a, back a, to, to God. Or, or, yeah. yeah. I mean, nope. Nope. No. No. No God. <laughs> or well, I won't say. Well, how how can no we God, still but. understand biology? Um, at, because we can't study things. We have we, we can develop instruments to do so, and so we had to be able to find a way to account for biology. Biology took a long time to catch up with physics, basically what Verveke is telling yeah. us here. And it's important for us to understand this because to understand what we need as living things, what we need for our growth being integral to how we find meaning in life, uh, if we cannot understand who and what we are, how can we know how to develop ourselves? No, yeah. And, and uh, that's a big question. Yeah. And what was that term that he used? Not self-assembling and not self-making, but self uh, or um, self or structural functional organization or no, self-organizing. Uh, self-organizing. Okay. That's the thing. Is the tree is self-organizing. Life is self-organizing and that question remains that great mystery as to why you eat and you have encoded information Mm -hmm. that's information that tells you how to make things yeah so even if we can't understand the why entirely verveke is going to help us get really close to how we relate with the existence around us why the reframing that in altered states of consciousness that shamans employed was so helpful and allowing us to better orient to life and living in this world. Yeah. It's going to get deep. It gets really... It already is deep, man. It's so deep already, but just wait. He's just setting it up so he can take us there. Um. So where were, where were we at in the notes? So I think calm. that was pretty much it. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Okay, man. The, we're getting concise. I think concise. that catches, catches us up pretty well. And, uh, yeah, I think we can jump back in. Is there anything else you were thinking? No, I got those weird little things of like tricks of word that hit me in the head, but you know, I gotta, I gotta ferment them for a week or so before I bring them back out and think about them. Yeah, right. Yeah, I like, I like to revisit these episodes or, or just think on certain aspects of them too. There's a lot of contemplation involved yeah. because he opens these doors that are like deep hallways. Well, they go the, a long way. The weird thing is, it's like I don't like you know. Okay, Aristotle, Kant. As far as I know, they didn't speak English. So it's funny that, like, information and, like, English words as they were translated, mm-hmm. they were translated in such a way that Latin, still yeah. retained yeah, the meaning behind it, but, yeah. you know, in the way that, say, English would do it. And, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would be curious, mm-hmm. and I'm not a linguist person, I, you know, psh, good luck teaching me a language, but I'd be interesting to see in other languages, particularly ones that aren't either Germanic or romance languages how they handle like how they make words for these concepts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i think it's based off the same underlying structure there's just different ways of going about yeah y- y- utilizing the, the language but you know those yeah. are the weird curious things that go off in my head so i'm just like oh man yeah <laughs> that's it's really trippy and I'm, I, okay is. so like, i am notorious action actuate it still has the root act within it yeah yeah and i'm notorious for like butchering the english language to suit my means and like my theater geek friends hated me for this because like I would, I'd use words like this and I'd, I love what Verveke's doing because it kind of validates me. I'm like, yes, actually you can pull apart words like this under to understand, understand yeah, to stand really under. Can. Okay. Yeah. You know, insight. Yep. Oh, you're in 
you have sight within it. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a reason. Okay, yeah. it's not just yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's always fascinated me, uh, linguistics and etymology. Oh, man, yeah. But onward we go. Onward. All right, back into it, guys. Yeah, let's bring it back just a few. All right. We'll do that. You smack rose. Now, Urero actually makes use of an important idea from Aristotle to solve this problem. So, she's going to use Aristotle in order to explain uh, a new and powerful way of talking about growth and development and self-organizing processes, which is known as dynamical systems theory. So, Urero, first of all, makes a distinction between causes and constraints. So to get at that distinction, let's go back to what seems so obvious. Okay, here's the marker. I push it. Why did it move? And immediately, the Newtonian grammar just comes into place. It moved because you pushed it. And then you might step out, outside of physics and say, well, I wanted to push it, and, but that's... That's not what I'm asking, because it, right? it could also just be that some other object bumped into this and it moved. Why else did it move? Okay, so think about what has to also be true in order for this to move. There has to be empty space, relatively empty space in front of the marker. This has to have a particular shape to it. This has to have a particular shape to it. Those aren't events. Right? Those are conditions. Causes are events that make things happen. Constraints right, aren't events. They're conditions. They don't make things happen. They make things possible. And there's a big difference between a condition and an event. The Newtonian way of thinking has us so fixated on this, so foregrounded on this, that we're not seeing this anymore. You see, Aristotle, because of his Platonic view, actually considers this more important. Why? Because when I talk about a structural, functional organization, when I talk about a pattern, I'm talking about this. This is where you will find form. This is where it's sometimes called the formal cause. This is where you will find the structural functional organization. Right? Conditions are structurally functionally organized such that motion for this is possible. Now, this is important because this is, of course, actuality, and this is where we get potentiality. When I shape possibility, that's what I mean when I say something is potential. I mean that possibility has been shaped by constraints so that these events are more possible than these events. Okay, so we're going to do more, but let's stop here and let's see how this is already starting to solve the problem of talking about the tree and its self-organization.
So in a tree, you've got a bunch of events happening, biochemical events. What they're doing is they're actually causing a particular right, form or formula or structural functional organization. Now think about it. Why do trees grow the way they do? Why do they grow like this? Why do they spread out their branches? Why do their leaves spread out? Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to change the possibility of a photon hitting a chlorophyll molecule. The structure of the tree shapes the possibility of the events. So the events right, cause this structure, and then right, they cause it, but this then constrains the events. So look at me, I'm a living thing. I've got a bunch of events happening in me, and that creates a structural functional organization. That organization creates an internal environment in which the probability of events is dramatically altered. So events that have very low probability happening out there have a high probability of happening in here. And events that have a very high probability of happening out there have a very low probability of happening in here. And that's what it is to be a living thing. The events, right, cause a structure, a structural functional organization, an IDOS, a form, and then that constrains the events. Now this is not a circular explanation because I'm talking about two very different kinds of things. I'm talking about actuality and potentiality. Now, it's important to realize that the discussion of possibility, many of you were saying, oh, this is like, oh, it's so abstract, and what does this, this is actually integral to science. Okay? Science depends on there being real potential. The potentiality is a real thing, right? So, you know, here's the object moving around. It's on the ground. Look at all this kinetic energy. Look at it moving. Look at, oh, it stopped. Did I destroy all that energy? Where did the kinetic energy go? You can't destroy energy. Well, the kinetic energy has become potential energy. If the principle of the conservation of mass and energy is real, then potentiality is real. Look at this. Look at, look at something from Newton. Force equals mass times acceleration. Is that an event? Is it, oh, that's happening over there right now? Or is it, is it, does it happen every Tuesday at 4 o'clock? This isn't an event. This is right how things are shaped. It puts a limit on what's possible in the world. Talking about real potentiality is not talking fictional or abstract. It's a, it's a way of talking that's integral to our current science. Okay. We're still not done, though. Because Yararo points out that there are two kinds of constraints, so our explanations can become even more refined. There are constraints that make uh, a form of event, a type of event, more possible. She calls those enabling constraints. And then there are constraints that reduce the possibilities, reduce the options for a system. These are the selecting or selective constraints.
Now, this is going to give us a very powerful way of understanding uh, development. Let's use it the way Yoraro does to talk about one of the most significant theories of development and change, one of the great hallmarks of science. In fact, this, it's a foundational theory for the science of biology, which of course is the theory of natural selection, the theory of Darwinian evolution. Because the theory of Darwinian evolution is probably the first dynamical systems theory in science, and it is a theory that is designed precisely to account for growth and development. Obviously not within an individual, but across speciation. Okay, so let's take a look at the theory. Oh boy, oh boy, that was fun. All right, yeah, so that's a lot, really fast. <laughs> yeah. Might be helpful to go over a little bit of that. Man, I just took up like so many pages. Uh, of yeah, from that I mean, look at his whiteboard, man. That's, that's... I'm glad he's using black marker today. Yeah, man, yeah, that like green and red marker stuff is yeah, killing me. Yeah, jeez, man, come on. This is what happens when you've been teaching for a long time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we learned about how, okay, dynamical systems theory, mm -hmm. causes and constraints, empty space is part of how things are shaped. That's trippy. Um, so we have conditions and prerequisites, potentials, and the constraints that make things possible. Now, cause and effect theory is causes are events, but in biological systems, you have constituents which create conditions that create possibilities, and the more possible something is, the more potential it is. Um, possible is like the form of something, the structural functional organization of it. And so we understand how trees, for instance, the structure of the tree shapes the potential or the possible events to create the potential outcomes so it's able to shape itself as it does, base itself towards the sunlight to gather the energy that it needs for photosynthesis. So in living environments, you have this high pro probability where the events are causing the structure that constrains the events. This is what actually makes us living organisms. We have our own particular sets of events and constraints going on inside of us that are way different than what's going on outside. And what's going on outside is way different than what's going on inside of us. And somehow there's that distinction that biology allows us to develop. Yeah. And so the, what would you call it? The, the apple guy. Uh, I The new, Newtonian end of things is like action, reaction, Third the action. apple guy, yeah. The apple guy. Not, not, <laughs> not Jobs. Not Jobs. Um, no, not that apple guy. But Not not, not an apple cider all, guy either, and not Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, there's a lot of apple guys. Old, old Johnny or Isaac Newton. Uh, so that's only one side of things, though. The That's the actual side, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like that, the, the side of action. But mm -hmm. this, the other side of that is the, the side of conditions like you know it being bright in this room is not 
an action. Now, of course, there's actions. When you turn the light on and off. Bright, but, just but a, that is a condition. It's a condition, yeah. It's a prerequisite. And within that condition, mm-hmm. there's also a condition. I have an eyeball that has a bunch of micro conditions in it so I can see. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been shaped by these conditions. That's why we're about to get into evolution here. Yeah, and the constraint of those conditions is is, refined that, us. is that logos that, that, mm. that defines how we've defined the structural functional organization well, yeah like you know um my ass on a piece of wood makes it chair the condition <laughs> of my ass being on that piece of wood is chair but if i put a bowl on it it's now a table it is now a table so the conditions yeah. have changed even though the actual uh, wood itself nice. is, you know and Everything kind of you know yeah. sandwiches on top of itself and layers up and layers up. Um, so you have actuality versus potentiality. Well, this this really opens us up into our way of thinking. No longer do we think of, you know, like well, ball hitting another ball, other ball going somewhere else. As well, what would happen if? Mm-hmm. And like the core of scientific experimentation is creating conditions under constraints yes. and as tight of constraints as you possibly have so you can replicate. Mm-hmm. You were saying we're measuring potentials and percentages, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah, that's yeah. So, you know, how fast is that ball going and what are these different conditions mm-hmm. that are created? And if that, then this, which, you know, if you like Sudoku, that's all Sudoku is. And if you're a programmer, that's all programming is. Like, it's re- that mm. concept. I don't know. That gives us, like, you know, insight into the future as well in a deeper way that than... I guess we were before the axial rev. Or well, I guess I guess sure, this would yeah. be axial revolution still mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and so, what is the potential that you know we're going to get rain mm-hmm. for this? What you know, and well, if you don't go look out, then you don't know what the conditions are. So you wouldn't necessarily have accurate potentialities, but. Yeah, it, it, it's a cool this two-sided coin thing that's going on between the actual and the potential. And like you said, you know, you lifted the pen up, you know, like, oh, you know, bring it up off the ground, you know. There's all this, uh, how do you describe it? But basically, you know, there's this kinetic energy that's going up and going up and going up and gravity pulling down. Well, now it stopped. What happened to that? Well, nothing happened to it. It just turned into potential energy. Potential, yeah. You create the condition of opening your hand under the condition of gravity the pencil falls to the ground mm-hmm. and then stops at the ground, which yeah. is the condition that everything that makes up the ground is holding together enough that the pencil doesn't go through it. Right. And I'm not getting quantum physical. It could be a piece of paper and the pencil shreds right through it. I don't know. Or it there could you be go. quantum physical, if you will. Um, but, yeah, and um, what was the woman's name that he mentioned who brought up um, – the two different kinds of constraints, and this is what we're going to go into. Um, he'll, he, yeah, he'll he'll end up saying it again, um, but yeah, that brought the book up earlier. Um, where we stopped was you have basically constr- constraints and destructive constraints, en- enabling constraints en- and selective yeah. restraints. En- en- yep. Yeah. So potential, yeah. what, those that limit the potentials of things, and those mm-hmm. that increase the, p- the potentials. Yeah, of enable so that's potentials. that's what we're going to get into next after this mm-hmm. short little break, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll have a short segment for you after that. Uh, actually, no, yeah, a short segment after that, and then that I we'll don't know through. from the end because he throws a yeah. lot of at a, at us towards the end. But so. we'll we'll see where he's going with this yeah. really soon. Yeah, and it's not going to be. I don't think completely 
explicated in this episode, but over the next few, and yeah, well, that's it's going to continue to really start to shine, and we're going to understand. Okay, this is how we develop meaning as a species, and this is how we can develop a richer meaning than we've ever been able to experience because we are now this global interconnected species, and if we start to engage together with the sense making capacity that we have, the collective wisdom. Uh, that we have together, then we are really going to be able to ratchet up our potential. Well, sure. Uh, we're yeah. at a very enhanced uh, distributed cognitive network at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and if any of y'all are feeling like a little confused and lost or like That's okay. not everything's yeah. sticking, I don't totally think that normal. this is not, this isn't designed to put this all in your head. It's meant to help reveal as it goes on because as these episodes go on i, I find he myself revisits these notions and i also find yes. myself thinking back to previous episodes yeah yep. um and it's okay to rewatch concepts i rewatch these episodes i'll put them in like 1.5 speed or so and go do some of the reading or like the, listen to the audiobooks or other stuff or you know the books you recommend are excellent and i haven't yeah. gotten through but maybe one or two of them even excerpts and stuff like that that are most pers- pertinent to this. And you'll see other people talking about, you know, Plato. In the Aristotle Discord. And, yeah, I need yeah. to actually get up on that Discord. I and get on that Discord. And, too. yeah, I signed up for the for the channel, but I need to actually get yeah. in there and get active and start talking with people. Because we're out here. We're doing this today. And I'm sure somebody else out there uh, has thought of doing something like this. So we, we'll probably want to invite them on for yeah. an episode. Well, soon we'll have the studio uh, more set up. The studio. Yeah, and we can bring you guys in via Zoom. However, you know, I can yep. make a little screen for you all and you can join in that way as well. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. All right, we're back. We are back. What's up? What's up, everybody? Yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah, we, we just discussed all of that. Um, we got down to how the actual nature of something is dependent on conditions that create possibilities that create supercharged possibilities like potentials. Well, that uh, the, uh, and the then s- enabling constraints and selective constraints are going to bring us into evolution now, and the actualization of something happening does not happen without the potential mm-hmm. and the poten- the realm of the potential is the te- you know what are the conditions what are the mm-hmm. constraints and what are those um it's like space is full of potential space informs the formation of things as well which yeah. is it, it this stuff is really yeah it's it's very trippy it's it's interesting to these are really fun thought experiments to go into to understand and to see a tree without the label tree on it and just to see this outgrowth of earth consequent of sun and the nutrients that it brings in through its roots from the planet below and it, it's a it's a really unique encounter at that point with this alien organism if you can really forget the label of the idea tree that we are typically have in our heads because every tree is, is so unique and then you can look and see how this thing is branching how it's grown itself to be able to collect the sunlight. And what is this thing? What is a planet? What is the universe? All of these questions. Wait, what is a planet? Did somebody plant it? Yeah, oh. right. Well, I really like how plants are planted and animals They're are animate, animate. Yeah. walking a- along atop the ground. And I guess funguses are fun. Funguses <laughs> are fun. <laughs> 
Yes. Don't go eating stuff but, out of your lawn unless you know Yeah, only with the trained mycologist should you ever go picking. Uh, yeah, or somebody who's or a been, wild connoisseur. Yeah, or somebody who's generations been them since of them since there was a yeah. kid, and they know exactly what that is. They know what they're looking for. That's right. Yeah. Oh. That's how we did it for ages. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know? There, but what's the saying? Um, there are old mushroom, mushroom hunters and bold mushroom hunters, but no old, bold mushroom hunters. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, that's clever. All right, so we're going to jump back in here now, guys. So what you're looking for, first of all, is there has to be a feedback cycle for, right, any dynamical system theory, because we're talking about a process that's self-organizing. So what's the feedback cycle that evolution talks about? Of course, well, it's sexual reproduction. Where do goats come from? Other goats. Goats are produced. There's the product, and then it feeds back into the system and becomes the producer. Makes more goats that make more goats that makes more goats. That's why we call it reproduction. It's a feedback cycle. So what did Darwin realize? Well, he realized that there were selective constraints operating on that. There were conditions in the environment that reduced the options for organism. That's right. So what's those conditions? Scarcity of resources. Okay? So... Um, I, I, I've been looking at some of the theories of early life, and there's an argument by uh, several biologists that there's no evolution for about probably 800,000 years or so because there's no scarcity of resources when life first evolves. So life is static because there's no scarcity of resources. Scarcity of resources means there's competition. Scarcity of resources means not everything can live. And so that reduces the options for the system. Okay, so selection, reducing options. But that's not all that's going on, right? If that was the case, everything would just die. Evolution would end. And, you know, and that can happen, extinction events. But there's something else. There's enabling constraints that open up the system, open up the options. So... Look around. Look at me, look at other people. There's variation. There's considerable variation. Variation increases the options. So look what's going on here. You've got this feedback cycle. As it's, as it's cycling through, you've got the selective conditions reducing the options that are available, and then the variation opening them up. And you can think of it almost like an accordion model. The variation opens it up, and then as it, as it cycles, the selective constraint pushes it down. And then from there, it opens up again, and then it gets pushed back down. And then it opens up again, and it gets pushed back down. And as it cycles like this, it's constantly changing in a way to be better fitted to the environment. That's evolution, right? It's a kind of circular. Evolve is related to words like revolve. It's this revolution with change. Now notice, what I'm trying to get you to see is like, first of all, this is important. I mean, I wish I was Charles Darwin. This is one of the great, great theories. He gets to sail around the world, 
I mean, what a life. He gets to sail around the world, go to some amazing places, and then he comes back and makes a world-changing theory. It's, just, it's amazing. But notice how much this Darwinian theory that is at the foundation of biology, how much it is beholden to Aristotle, how much it depends on Aristotelian ideas. Okay. Now, Uraro talks about this as a virtual governor. So a governor is, right, is any device that sort of limits what you can do um, on a system. Like if you have a governor on a steam engine, right, it sets the range, it limits the range uh, at which it can cycle. She calls it a virtual governor because it's not an actual machine, it's the shaping of possibility. She stops there. And work that I've done with Leo Ferraro and Anderson Todd and Richard Wu, we think we should, she should continue to finish the metaphor. This is a virtual generator because it's a set of conditions that are generating options for a self-organizing system. And here's the idea. When you put a virtual governor systematically together with a virtual generator, such that you're systematically regulating a feedback cycle. This whole thing is a virtual engine, because when you attach a governor to a generator, you get a virtual engine. So this is what a dynamical system theory is. A dynamical system theory is basically a theory that lays out the virtual engine. It shows you how there's a feedback cycle and why that's not just random and chaotic, why it produces growth and development precisely because there's a systematic relationship between a set of enabling and selective constraints. Now, all of this is very, very Aristotelian. So let's now take it back to Aristotle. Because Aristotle was interested, now he he doesn't use this. He doesn't use the dynamical systems language. That's our language, but this language was directly inspired by, powered by, Aristotle. So using it backwards to try and connect Aristotle to our current understanding, I do not think is anachronistic. So Aristotle is interested in our development. He's going to add something that was missing from the Socratic notion of wisdom. Remember, the Socratic notion was trying to overcome self-deception. And then Plato adds a whole structural theory of the psyche to explain how we overcome self-deception, how we become wise and achieve wisdom. But what's missing in the account of wisdom and meaning, according to Aristotle, if I can use this language, is what's missing is an account of growth and development. How does wisdom develop? How does meaning develop? Well, this is where we get something that we talk about and we use as in our language, but we don't, I think, get the depth of what Aristotle's talking about. There's an aspect of who and what you are that's fundamentally connected to your projects of meaning and your project of wisdom. You often might have used this term or related terms, but do you really know what you're talking about? And this is the notion of your character. 
Now, first of all, your character isn't your personality, because if we're going to use these terms strictly, you're born with your personality. Personality is part of your, just your general constitution. It's what's given to you by the biology and the environment that you have no choice over. Right? But your character is that aspect of you that you can cultivate. Now, you can either cultivate it unconsciously, surreptitiously, indirectly, or you can cultivate it more explicitly. But what is your character? When we say that somebody's acting out of character, we're usually making, and this is important, we're usually making either an existential or moral criticism of them. When we say Peter is acting out of character, we often will mean something like he's normally honest. He's normally honest. He normally has the virtue of honest. Notice the connection here, by the way. Virtue. And we've been talking about a virtual engine. That is not happenstance. When you're talking about a virtue, you're not talking about an event. You're talking about, again, a set of conditions that have been cultivated systematically in somebody. Now that points to something. That When we're talking about character, I'm going to suggest that what we're talking about is what is the virtual engine on a person's development? What system of constraints have you... What kind of virtual engine are you developing? <laughs> Virtue. Virtuosity. Hmm. This is so intriguing. And this is, this is where it gets a little tricky. But he does revisit these things in different ways, so we will certainly gain a full understanding through the series. Okay. Science depends on real potential. We recognize that the potentials can be enabled, or const you know, there can be enabling constraints, there can be selective constraints, which are disabling. And we have potentials. Two idea we have... The so we idea have the conditions. A a we have the idea now of a governor and a um, virtual governor and a virtual generator and a generator. Yeah, yeah, and so re reproduction, this feedback cycle, yeah. uh, the conditions that reduce options such as scarcity, competition, uh, allow us to conform and adapt, and so you have this. Many potentials and then constraint potentials, yeah, the many that, potentials. The thing that's like you could think of it, not just the accordion thing, but to use a different analogy for that is, say, to go Darwinistic with it, you know, you have, um, you know, a species of birds that develop beaks that can get through seeds. Well, then you have something that crunches them down, and maybe there's only small seeds that are available. So then there's a development that mm. grows out of being able to mm -hmm. eat Now it's small constrained. Seeds. It's got to be able to shape its beak differently. And then it reshapes itself and goes on out. Like that Darwin's finches are a good example because finches have a short, uh, relatively short lifespan. Mm -hmm. um, so you can observe multiple generations Maybe not in a short period of time, but you can short see you can see multiple different uh, what do they call them Ev evolutionary branches within the same place because mm -hmm. the time span's short enough. Well, um, but yeah, the the in and out the thing that pushes everything in and constrains everything, and then from those constraint reorders itself and opens up back out. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the virtual governors is uh, taking the variance and increasing options. So we're evolving, revolving through this feedback cycle that's gaining all of this information to allow us to form ourselves and adapt better to the environment over and over and over again. So it's a process of revolution, of, ad- of adaptation to change in the environment through the species reproduction cycle. Well, we're re- continually reproduces re- itself. Evolving, revolution. Yes. Re- you know, yes. To revolve, to re-evolve, to do the cycle again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And so that, like I, m- I mentioned while this was playing, but uh, for those of you at home, um, when he mentioned it was Socrates who really questioned what is this self-deception, de- and then it was Plato to create a structure on how to, say, get out of the Overcome self-deception. Yes, and wisdom. Now, and now what we ha- is wisdom? And now we have a component through time. Yes, Aristotle is like, how, do, how does one develop wisdom over time? How do we grow? Yeah. Yes. So he's further explicating this idea mm-hmm. yeah. from Socrates on, yeah. and this idea of potentiality that Aristotle comes up with is where we get the word potential and actual, and actuality is from Aristotle. That catches up now to Darwin. Darwin is very much beholden to Aristotle here, and, and we're seeing how small of a world it is, kind of, as we go through these. Well, you see how these individuals were truly we are all interconnected with this world and you really get the sense for how interconnected we really are and it, it, you know and i'd never really thought of it but it does make sense that that um uh, evolutionary birdman guy um oh you're talking name? isaac uh, newton no not newton that's the apple guy. oh no apple guy i'm sorry uh but yeah yeah my brain does this it just drops names and words uh darwin 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 well <laughs> what did you call him bird guy bird guy <laughs> oh yeah darwin uh, i should have gotten yeah, with yeah, bird finch, guy finch guy um well so his whole theory is based on finch dude constraints and potentials mm-hmm. and like it, like quite literally to the finches the constraints was this the food changed mm-hmm. yeah so you know yeah. you and so the ones with the big beaks weren't surviving and the ones with smaller beaks were surviving, and so the but organism how, is now changing over time through yeah, reproduction and re, re, reiterations. Yes, and Uaro is, is the author. She teaches Uaro, us yes. uh, how we have this virtual gen- governor and the virtual generators acting in this feedback cycle to develop a virtual engine, and that's how we we caught up um, to how does wisdom and meaning develop with Aristotle. Um, that's how we catch that up with this idea of a char- having a character. And so rather than like the personality that one is born with, so we do have certain biological predispositions sure, but you're that make up our personalities. But we have also the yeah. personage, the cast image, the, the mask that we wear as individuals that is our character. Um, and this is not a good or bad thing. This is just what is. Yeah. And... So this this is something that can be cultivated consciously or unconsciously. I got to make sure I look at the camera too. I'm looking yeah, at you here. Yeah, you know, I'm so pretty. You're, you're too damn pretty. So acting out of character, you can recognize when someone's acting out of character. There's like some kind of moral existential dilemma going on with that person yeah. when we think that way. So we recognize um, that 
virtuosity or that sense of virtue or virtuousness when it's failing in in each other it's interesting like this word virtue came up and i had this thought while i was re-listening to it earlier today but when he mentions that you know virtues are a set of conditions right well Mm -hmm. i don't know how many people and it's how how well are you acting with that set of conditions sure. well, it's how virtuous the book of virtues i don't know if any of you grew up how wisely that, are you choosing but the book of virtues was like a kid's storybook with like lions and and sheep it very christian um but the book of virtues was quite very western and platonic then of, too right yeah stories of yeah. conditions that create results that you know like ultimately they want you to live under you know like be courageous and kind and all these other mm-hmm. things but to be courageous there must be certain conditions to be kind there are certain conditions so your virtue is dependent on conditions and then when we say you know like so and so isn't necessarily themselves they're a little out of character is their virtue they're not holding up to their virtue well we also define we define virtues in other people that's that that um, existential end Mm-hmm. Like he said, you, usually it's existential judging. Like you know, oh, well, usually you're kind and honest and nice, and now you're not. There's something well, the way that conditions this person's existence changed. is acting that is yeah. different. Yeah, and you know and that can be good or bad. You know how how someone's character changes. Well, getting back to like maybe it was like the first episode when you just briefly talked about horror, but like maybe the reason why we have such a visceral impact on or people, uh, yeah. other people when they step outside of that normal assumption of their virtue, why we have such a bad reaction to it. It's like, well, our, what horror is, is not being able to have a grasp on reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, when you like, say when you're a kid and the first time your parent really snaps and like loses their shit on you, like, well, they're not holding up within the conditions that are predefined for how I understand what's going on here. And like no, you know, no wonder mm-hmm. like our faith gets broken so hard when. So hey, maybe there's a lesson in here. Uh, don't put too much, vir- <laughs> too much of your own virtues on other people. Which actually, one of the axioms I hold in life is hold yourself to a higher standard or higher yeah. conditions mm-hmm. than others, and you'll never have an issue. Mm-hmm. But when when we hold each other to a higher standard and too high of a standard, maybe when it shatters, it's like, yeah. well, then what do we do? Because it's hard not to do that, but yeah. but I, I have heard that put as well. You know, s- when somebody is being cruel or nasty to you, it's just keep in mind that they that's their own well, the issue. Other that's and that's their per- permission to feel however they, or, or their right. We and we can give them full permission to be however they well, want want to be in that moment they're, as they're long as they're not do it anyway. Somebody. So. It's, but the other thing is, is when you have per- people whose initial like you know, like our business is what's going on within us. It's not our sure. business what's going on with within other people, unless we're trying to care in a considerate way. Unless we've made the agreement with that person. Mm-hmm. But on the other end of this, though, is I've had, uh, I've had some you know they're good friends now, but uh, people that's at least the virtue that I put on them, they're mean, crotchety, angry, you know, whatever. And then when they step outside of that, and you're like, wow. Like I've I've had the big tough guys crying on my shoulder, like at three o'clock in the morning after a night of drinking and stuff, you know. So it's uh, on on both ends. Don't ho- don't don't hold the don't prejudge. Yeah, yeah. Because on one end you could judge somebody too high, 
No, it's, it's we really got to meet each other as we are in this yeah. moment because it's really easy to develop, not just like we develop labels of the idea of a tree. And if you peel that label off of a tree and just try and see it without any preformed idea or conception of what a tree is and just see it as this thing without the word tree or the idea tree on it, something fascinating. We can do that with one another. And it's very easy for us to develop images of one another. And then it ends up in conversations with somebody where literally just two images interacting rather than who we truly are in this moment. And I, I love that notion that Jay Christian Murdy shares what if we lived life without an ounce of comparison and what if we saw each other as we are in this moment rather than through images and ideas um well i guess that's the goal yeah, right you know but to be, to be honest i think it is necessary for us to do this because we do it with everything and that's how we understand it's useful for navigation sure uh if there's someone that's proven to be dangerous of course that's yeah. good information to hold in the back of your head but you don't have to believe anything 100 percent. you can still encounter every moment well, and also full for love the, and openness well and also for the, you know? the wise person is being able to on the other end of it to hold the perception of it's wise, many considerations yeah. as well so. yeah and you put them on scales basically like this potential is this high but nothing is certain and that that's a scary it's a scary thought to think what? that we don't have to be certain about anything but we can have things on scales of potential like this is likely you know but it doesn't have to be for sure we should always leave ourselves open to new information yeah. well and so all, all these things are tools like literally psychotechnologies techniques for using tools all mm -hmm. these things are tools but we shouldn't get so well, I don't want to say shouldn't but we must be wary, perhaps, of or only caution. using certain tool steps all the way. Because, like, look, if we just wanted to do the, the, um, the Apple guys and the Newton, the Newtonian end of things, we'd have no conception of potential and conditions. But if we were all just potential and conditions, there'd be a wishy-wash and no straight line of cause and action and reaction as well. Mm -hmm. the tool sets that we're developing to use together yes yes that's why love is such a helpful orientation because it allows us to be unconditional and it allows it so you have a wide open potentials in front of you and then it allows you to to consider to be very considerate so you're considering that many wide things very deeply and you're open and your orientation enough to be able to continually take in new for information and you're not attached to what it's ultimately going to mean psychologically you're allowing yourself to be free of attachment to expectation and all of that so this is a very allows us to be very objective yet also very and uh, this is a loving orientation and this is the wise wisest form of love we you could say this this unconditionality that people like Jesus and Buddha were trying to teach yeah, and it wasn't that, you know, these great individuals didn't see this, you know, didn't see the free rider for what they were mm -hmm. and didn't see the wise man for what they were. It it, it wasn't. They're just very widely considered. So they could understand. Why. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to being, you know, consumed by either or. It's being mm -hmm. able to see both. Because we're attached to an ideal. This person are. should be this way. They should be doing this. They should be doing yeah. that. So we get ourselves all riled up inside. And it's someone else's problem. But really, we just got to be worrying about our own problems. So, like, you know, what's that? The whole, you know, you point. If you, you still the water here, it helps still the water everywhere else. Yeah. Doesn't it? Uh, well, yeah. yeah. And contrary to the popular belief, uh, you can't just complain about it and things will get better. 
complaining is one action that doesn't really do anything. Or just find this group that's doing things wrong. And well, yeah, because like, okay, well, the initial point is complaining about it is like, oh man, like my back really hurts. I need to get some new shoes. Okay, well, the next time you complain about, it, did you get new shoes? Did you change the conditions that made you your back hurt? Yeah, you know, like what's posture. going on? Okay, well, you got new shoes. Does your back still hurt? Have you been stretching? You know, it's like, but you know, and not to rant, but I'm going to rant a little bit. But nowadays, like the the people who are making the change, at least in you know the the surface level that everybody's seeing right now, are the complainers. They complain and complain and complain this, that, or the other. Whether it's you know colonization racism separation this that or the other it's just complaint 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 but where have you really heard a good like okay well for this complaint here's a series of conditions we can you know do change. to change mm-hmm. this changing over we've time heard ideas and, yeah. and then we have to test the ideas mm-hmm. and not just complain when say maybe my idea didn't no work yeah because so like well. if you didn't like the idea of racism segregation probably isn't a good idea to try as but we got to try it again just to make sure yeah yeah yeah, you see a lot of crazy (laughs) stuff happen um yeah but you know oh my god instead of just complaining doesn't complaining doesn't change the conditions it doesn't create any restraints and it doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't create any no this is why martin was trying to teach us martin luther king was trying to teach us this orientation of love and and he said like not this this force that all the great religions have seen as, as the supreme unifying principle of life we must love one another yeah. this idea that we must love one another means you're not having like an emotion towards people you are being unconditional you're being wide open fully considerate of every single potential because you're looking for what is best and true and good for one and all from from this orientation of this thing that we call love and this thing that we call love should remain beyond full description because it is there at the bottom of all the great wisdom traditions east west north south it always comes back down to this thing that is synonymous with what we use the word love to point to so this this orientation to life is that allows one to be wide open putting yourself in other people's shoes seeing multi-perspective you know multi-perspectively that's what it allows us and so that that's the, that's a wisdom that we can cultivate that can guide us, and this can help us develop our virtuosity, being more self-loving and truly caring for ourselves. We're going to take care of that back, you know. And all the things will fall into place as they need to from this orientation. So this is a very much root part of the solution that I I continue continually return to because it's something that is depthless. There's no end to the wisdom of this thing that we call love. And yeah, I was, I was thinking about this the other day too. That um, love as not an emotive force, like an emotion, but because mm-hmm. it encompasses so many. You yeah. know, it, you can well, be sure, yeah, jealous, angry, yeah. and bliss. Yeah, and so many. Yeah, things, so yeah. over this thing that we call love. Oh, one of these days we'll have to go through all the things that love isn't in an attempt. But well, love is a union, is. very much. You're, you're yeah. uniting yourself with all these potential variants to try and understand them and. And embody all of the understanding that you can. Get all the information so you can form well, yourself. It's best interesting that at least you know humans. I can't speak for animals because I'm not. I'm not. That, I'm. I'm not a non-human animal. But love, <laughs> love is tied up with our reproduction. It is how we reproduce yeah. and how we grow and how we teach our young as well. So there's and how well we're going to raise them is dependent on how loving a relationship we have with our spouse and with mm-hmm. them and. 
yeah, how loving they're going to end up being able to be. And that means how comfortable in life and how virtuous, how much can they engage in high, highly virtuous acts. Yeah, it's just, just you got to find love somewhere. I'm not, yeah, and I'm not sure yet where the, well, maybe never, but where the, where the strings are that tie everything back to that, you mm-hmm. know, because it, it yeah, cause it's not something you expect either. It's something you just give. So that's yeah. why it's like, again, it's an orientation. It's an inbuilt capacity. Well, you give and you, and you receive and it, the moment it, you can feel it come towards well, you, but you don't the need the moment it you expect anyone. it, no matter how yeah. true of love yeah. it is, you'll never really it's always appreciate it for what it is. Yes. Yes. Yeah, true so. that. Yeah. That that's a great note. To, well, don't to, expect uh, the Christmas card. Just be happy that you got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's just it's a great reminder, though. That's really helpful. Mm. All right. Well, we're slightly off topic. Let's uh, bring it back so when we come back in, we know where we're at. Yeah, let's get our virtual engines back here. Ah, uh, yes, the virtual engine. Well, yeah, it's, it's a mechanism to keep itself. Like, we have two um, countering things that keep this engine from exploding. Yeah, the governor. And the generator. Yeah, the yeah. generator keeps everything going, but the governor keeps it from exploding into yep. chaotic nothingness or just chaotic bits. Or potential that is not really good for what we're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, opening up to options, constraining. How cool. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, we're back. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. In. Virtual engine and not... Vroom. Yeah. Yeah. identified with and what system of constraints have you internalized that regulate your development let's let's ask a Socratic question let's do something that Socrates would do we spend a lot of time on our appearance we spend a lot of time on our status how much time did you spend today on your character How much? If it is the virtual engine that is regulating your growth and development, you should be, of course, spending a lot of time on your character. But are you? Now, Aristotle proposed ways of trying to cultivate your character. I. I I would argue that his method, his famous method of the golden mean, is a way of trying to get you to set up conditions to cultivate your character. So, for example, what is courage? We would all like to be more courageous, I take it. Well, Aristotle proposed that it falls, it's the golden mean, not the average, that's a misunderstanding, right, because it's golden mean, between two things. Of course, you can be a coward, You can somehow be defective by having a deficiency, but you can also be foolhardy. Just running into traffic doesn't make you courageous. What you're always trying to do is you're trying to set up a system where you're paying attention, where you lack the enabling constraints, where you don't have enough generation and also conditions where you lack the selective constraints. When you, you're, right, you're too broadly, you have too many options that you're identifying as courage. What you have to do is you have to train yourself. You have to cultivate your character by engaging in practices 
that will slowly, over time, create a virtual engine. Because you are, look, you are a self-organizing process. You are the source of your actions that modify the environment that then feeds back into you and changes you. And then you produce your actions and then the environment feeds back and changes you. Here's the question I ask you. Are you just letting that run? Or are you trying to rationally and reflectively cultivate your character, structure a virtual engine so that that self-organizing process is growing and developing in an optimal fashion? Aristotle takes the question, and we, 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 we use this, we even use, and we, I'm not saying we, we use it trivially, but we don't get the depth of what we're saying. What we're saying. One of the most trenchant criticisms we can make of ourselves of other people is this. Listen, listen to my language. Listen to it. He's not living up, living up to his potential. Part of what makes your life meaningful is that you have cultivated character that allows you to actualize your potential. You've created a virtual engine that regulates your development in a way in which you grow up. It's a constantly it's a con it's a, in which self-organization has been regulated and shaped into self-improvement so that your potential is fully realized. So Aristotle brings in this notion then of development and growth as part of what it means to have a meaningful life. He brings in a new aspect to the notion of wisdom. Wisdom is gaining the ability to cultivate virtues, to create your virtual engine, a set of right, virtues a, 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 that basically is regulating your growth and development so that you actualize your potential. Again, think about it. What are you doing to cultivate your character? Because Aristotle points out there's a deep form of foolishness that comes from a lack of character. He calls it acrasia, which we poorly translate as weakness of the will because we're all post-Protestants and we think the will is our central thing, even though increasingly there's scientific evidence that the notion of will or willpower is a defunct idea. We should give it up. Right? So what's acrasia? Acrasia is when you know what the right thing to do is. You know what the right thing to do is. And we talked about this, remember, with the chocolate cake. But you don't do the right thing. And here's where we can sort of put Aristotle and Plato together. Plato gives us this sort of story about how we have to structure the psyche. But Aristotle gives us a much more penetrating analysis of what that structural functional organization is. Here's what Aristotle would say, why you're behaving foolishly. Ignorance is when you do the wrong thing because you don't know. Part of what foolishness is, is when you know what the right thing is and you still do the wrong thing. Here's Aristotle's answer. You do the wrong thing because although you have the right beliefs, and notice, the, again, the impotence of belief here, 
you don't have the right, you don't have sufficient character. You have not trained things, you've not trained skills, you've not trained sensitivities, you have not created a virtual engine that is regulating your development and growth such that you will live up to your potential. You will actualize yourself and do the right thing. So, we're starting to see, again, the deep grammar of what we talk about when we talk about meaning. And we notice now that there's this developmental aspect to it. What is it to live up to your potential? I mean, that's a phrase we use. What is it you're saying when you say that about somebody? Why does it matter so much? So Aristotle would say, let's go back to the analogy. Please always remember that it's an analogy. Let's go back to the analogy of a man-made thing. Okay? How, would, how is it when we know when something has been well-made? What makes a, a, something a good knife? Right? Well, when it has a structural, functional organization, right, that allows it to fulfill its purpose. So knives are for cutting. If I've taken the potential in the metal and organized it the right way, structured it the right way, it will actually function to cut very well. Right? And notice that this is a word that's also deeply associated with our sense of what it is to have meaning. So, Aristotle asks, well, what can we do with this analogy? Human beings aren't made the way knives are made. We're self-making. And here's, here's an important idea. We're self-making. We're not just self-organizing. The term that Francisco Varela and Evan Thompson have generated to talk about this is we are autopoetic. We are self-making things. So you're different from a tornado. A tornado is self-organizing, but a tornado will move, its behavior can be rapidly self-destructive. It will move into conditions that destroy it. You're self-organized in such a way that you have a structural functional organization that allows you to seek out conditions. So the tornado does not seek out the conditions that will protect and promote its own self-organization. It's not self-making. You are self-making. So here's the interesting thing, and, and this is a brilliant idea that Eric Pearl brings out in his book, Thinking Being. Right? In living things, right, the purpose of the thing is its structural functional organization. It's a, it's a self-making thing. So what your, what your purpose, your function is, is to enhance your structural functional organization. It's like, oh, wow, that's... This is a problem, you'll say, with philosophy. This is also abstract. What does that mean specifically? Well, for Aristotle, it means paying attention to the fact that you are a rational, reflective creature. 
You're unlike a plant. A plant has this, but all it basically does is actualize its ability to sort of digest. So let's take a look at this. We have inorganic matter, right? And then it gets a particular, it's informed, and that makes like a living thing. And that living things can get a more complex structure that make them self-moving. That's what an animal is. An animal isn't a mammal. An animal is a self-moving thing. And then some of those self-moving things have structural functional organizations, here's in here, for example, that take that self-moving and really actualize it. Remember we talked about that the word psyche, where we get our word psychology, mind, originally meant your capacity for self-moving. And we came to apply it to the mind because the mind is that part of you that is the self, most self-moving, the most self-making. You're a mental thing, a psychological thing. But is that enough? No, we're getting from Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, you can optimize that. You can take charge of that. You, unlike other organisms, you can do the actual revolution on yourself. You're capable of cultivating your own character rationally and deliberately. You can become, right, a rational thing. To live up to your potential is to make sure you have cultivated a character that takes you as high up this hierarchy as you can go. That's how you live up to your potential. Somebody who lived only as a plant would be a debauched, failed, degraded human being. Somebody that lived only as an animal, unreflectively, impulsively, would be a debauched, failed human being. But the argument continues. You say, of course, of course. But all the way up here, You must cultivate your character so that you, as much as possible, actualize your potential for being a rational, moral human being. That's the hallmark of, for Aristotle. You become a good person if you actualize, if you inform your being with a virtual engine that realizes those things that are distinctive of our humanity. What makes us different from the plants, the animals, the other creatures that just have minds? What makes us different? We understand that we have always, and we still do understand ourselves in contrast 
to the other things we find around ourselves. How are, why am I more valuable than this table? Why does it, why do I matter more? Because there are things that can be found in rational beings, things that we find intrinsically valuable and important that cannot be found in, mere, in merely mental things, and all the way down. What are those characteristics that are unique to us? Well, here's where Aristotle gives the actual revolution answer. Your capacity for overcoming self-deception, your capacity for cultivating your character, for realizing wisdom, and for enhancing the structure of your psyche and your contact with reality. That's what rational means. This sounds, if I hadn't said all this, what I'm going to say now would sound trite. Your purpose is to become as fully human as possible. How are you cultivating your character to do so? This is what Aristotle is going to ask you again and again. How much of your life is dedicated to creating a virtual engine that realizes your rational capacities, those things that make you most human in contrast to all the other things around you? So Aristotle has developed this very impressive theory of wisdom, and character, growth, and development. One of the things we could use today is to go back and make use of this so we can reanimate, rejuvenate these terms that have become tired and superficial. We have no alternative terms to, for describing our lives, for the meaning in our life. We talk about purpose and living up to our potential and growth and development and which blah, 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 because we don't have any depth to these terms. One of the things we can use Aristotle to do is to go back and deepen what those terms mean for us, rejuvenate what they mean for us. But I want to continue on and to talk about this development that was occurring in the Axel Revolution. And I want to talk about how Aristotle helped further the historical process by which he contributed to our cultural grammar of what it is when we're talking about meaning, purpose, wisdom, self-transcendence. And so what I want to look at next time when we're together is I want to look at Aristotle's account of a worldview and what a worldview is and why it matters so deeply to our self-understanding and our existential meaning. Thank you very much for your time.
and it keeps laying out more every time I watch these. It's yeah. just they're they're bottomless. And and real quick, notions. real quick before we got it, get it too far into it, when he laid out on the left side of the board there, the inorganic matter, and then the plant, and then the animate animal, and then the self-thinking animal, and then the next state above that. I have that marked as well. That was forty. Yeah, that's 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 the story of Genesis in the in the Bible. So, you know, the universe. Hey, first God created, you know, the earth. You know, the heavens and the earth, mm-hmm. and then all the plants, and then the fishes in the seas, and then the animals, and then the thing that names the animals, and that's the Adam and Eve. And then what happens? What's the next stage? They eat the fruit of knowledge, uh, the being able to understand self-deception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that it kind of, for me, it kind of puts puts where we are right now in perspective because we're post, you know, post fruit of knowledge, if you will. So we're that next evolutionary step. Yes, within, you know, what makes us humans to be as human as we possibly can be. Got a little bit of a tear there uh, going on, you know, uh, from. It's really beautifully put and it's it's backed up so well. Um, and it's a huge responsibility, but it's 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 not necessary. It's also what's going to give us that deep sense of belonging and meaning that we've been missing in life It's to fully engage. So now the existential crisis is, of course, still within us because we got a little bit off track. We got disconnected from the depth of these insights that we have pre- had previously gained and like, built upon like for Nietzsche so long. Like said, we killed God. We're at the point now where we're the next stage of evolution that has to, like, uh, rejuvenate to make young again this idea of, you know, and not necessarily the religious God, but... But th- for, th- forever and for. Yeah, forever we must continue to cultivate this capacity that we have that Christ and Buddha were trying to show us, this capacity for self-transcendence. Fulfilling our promise, which is... To fulfill our promise. You know, because the promise isn't just like an, oh, I promise that this is going to happen. There's also the promise of somebody that has promise, which is fulfilling the potential of their character. Yes. And the character, you know, and and he he brought, he, he spoke on... You know, like what is wisdom, and he really brought it together. Mm-hmm. Is like wisdom is the ability to not just you know live up to your character, but you know figure out what your character is. What is mm-hmm. you know what what conditions do I need to then become more mm-hmm. human? And How more can we self transcend our our, our uh, animal self? These these lower natures. Yeah. How can we live up to our promise and develop the meaningfulness in our life that we seek to inhabit and share with others? So, yeah, so here we are. Um, I brought it up. I brought the chart up on the screen so, you, so we could see. Uh, yes, let me get a quick look. I'm going to get real close to the camera here because that's where the screen is. But I'm blind. Hold up for you a little bit. So the inorganic can be informed. Living things can be informed. It grows into self-moving things like animals. And then the mental things, which is the first from like Adam and Eve, is yeah. the, the the universe is of the mind. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the gr- psyche, the grand the, mover's the mind, prime but, mover. Yeah. yeah, the action of consciousness. 
um, is what gives us our rational thinking, our ability to delineate and reduce things and parse things out to understand them. We also have this capacity for rejuvenation, for this rebirth, for this constant reproduction of our character. Yeah, and, and it's almost as if we're using every state below, you know, like, the, so the highest state on that chart mm. Commercialism has certainly learned to appeal to... Well, it, well, even in trying to find the wisdom, we're, we're using the or inert the material parts of the universe, like, and you could say that would be like, um, uh, was it uh, Plato was the mathematician? Um, as well as, um, mm-hmm. as well as, uh, who gave us the triangle formula, Pythagoras, Pythagoras. Yes. yes. So like you can think of that understanding as like the mineral mm-hmm. part and then there's the, the planted end of things. And then there's the animate understanding of like, well, now there's action and okay. what we do. Now we understand cause and effect. Yeah. And then there's the next step. Well, it's like, oh, well, we have a mind now we can critique mm-hmm. and it, it's not a direct linear, linear path through the teachers, but. You, you can know. see how the ideas are growing, though, through them, and, I and also they're further expanding upon each other's ideas. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, it, it's the past and the the past and the future folding into itself. Um, yeah. and you know, he brought this up in earlier episode, or I think it was like episode two or something. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But um, how literacy literacy of language allowed our past brains to connect with future. So past self with future self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could Same. store information and, and, and bring it back up. So you'll see this tied in, not just cyclical, like, you know, one into the other into the other, but like one into the other into the other. But if you remove time from the frame, there's also components of the latter in the previous. And then somehow in the future, it affects what's in the past as well. So it's... it's um. I may be permanently flawed because I've been messing around with this thinking about time, but I don't necessarily think it's as linear as we think. Yes, of course, the way we experience it is linear, but there seems to be this, like, future concepts infecting the past. Oh, sure. Yeah, like our ideals are things that we can cast out into the future. Um, We can create visions that we can drive ourselves towards, and that ideal ends up becoming the future if we are virtuous in our development towards that goal. But, you know, uh, uh, after listening to this again, I'm, I'm the whole thing can fold in on itself. And yeah, there, there does seem to be a timelessness. Now we are able to track time and we can see the passage of one object from here, starting going all the way over here. But it is actually just one long moment experientially for us. And we know that as soon as you go out deep out into space, time is, very different and if you change your speed time is very different well and here's here's another thing too so like even though well i won't name any specific one because i'm having trouble with names but even though like each teacher from each little period of time you know of course they have the rightness and that's what we're talking about where they're right but there was also s- spots where they were wrong, and we could look back and see they're wrong. But we can actually gain further insight in this future now than what was in the past. So that's like the future affecting the past in some weird, funky little way. Mm. 
Does that, that make is, sense? That is funky. Yeah. Because, uh, like, say, like, um, well, it's allowed the, it, the, yeah. the, the, the natural um, philosophers, mm -hmm. uh, Thaleus, that's his name. So, Thaleus, like, you know, everything is uh, the moist. Uh, you know, th that idea was like, well, of, uh, of course it's wrong. Not everything has water in it or whatever, but the, the idea that there is something that's in everything that is the everything. The effort to try and break it down and see what the and it was only till underlying substances, yeah. We're now in the point where we can look back and be like, well, he was, you know, he was wrong in the sense that there's not moisture in everything. But we can find the really, really more right than he probably would have realized the how right he was. Idea that he was that's the future with, affecting the past as well. And not in some, you know, like looper, you know, sci-fi kind of But it's building stuff, on. But, but it's building on for sure. And and, and modifying the past as well. And mm -hmm. I think he mentioned, and I'm not going to try to like quote it or cite it too heavily, but in earlier episodes, you know, he mentioned this future affecting past. And maybe it's only from our perception of the past, but still, like, we're, we're a, a, a linked cognitive network that's linked to the past as well yeah no <laughs> we have these terms that help us get a handle on what past present future are but the fact that there is this now that we're in that we're able to develop things that come true in the future that are building on what we developed in what was before in the past is does have an interest in circularity to it I heard this one description of, who was it, Grant Morrison, maybe that described human beings. If you could see them from outside of time, from a higher dimension, uh, we would worms. be like long worms with like a face on the front and then our butt in the very back, like all the way back. Aren't we you born. glad we don't exist and in that universe? Like, and you could see yeah. yourself just snaking through mm -hmm. all of your existence and like all at once. So e everywhere you ever went and everything, like on a Google map, if you could just have this one static line from where you begin in your life all the way to the very end. But that's we, that's we, another way of looking at we, what we, we are. Yeah, we kind of do that with you know philosophy. And all I'm going to say is uh, philosophy is philosophy is a continued conversation, right? So that's that's what we do. Mm -hmm. And we're literally observing the worm that we are through philosophy. It's this continued conversation. You can reference it from any point in time within the worm, like any yeah. part of the length of the worm. Worm doesn't sound appealing at all. Hey, worms are cool. Do you know long, worms travel in herds? Long primate. Long, <laughs> that sounds even worse. Potentially 100-year-long primate. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Okay, well, okay, so then there's the also the notion, I was listening to a podcast, and of course, you know, we've seen this in like Back to the Future too. There was alternate potential timelines, and quantum yeah. theorists are playing with the idea of multiverses and multipotentialities at all times. Well, it's become so so uh, ubiquitous in current culture, where it's like, you know, everything, alternate universes. everything is, is a multiverse, like right. the yeah. MCU multiverse, yes. this multiverse, and that yes. multiverse, and, you know, even like, you know, like, Black Mirror, everything that happens mm -hmm. in Black Mirror is technically in the same universe, but it's so a multiverse. So here's, here's a fun know, like, and perhaps uplifting thought, perhaps comforting, and, and maybe it does help us align us, help align us to potential solutions for the meta crisis, the meaning crisis being at the root of the meta crisis that humanity now faces. Meta meaning many concurrent existential yeah. crises to our species, and potentially life ending. All together as well. Yes. Um, uh, damn it, I lost my train of thought. This mm. is what happens. Mm. Okay, so how did we enter the meta crisis? Okay, multiverse theory, mm. multiple timelines. Oh, there we go. So, just like Marty experiences the hell version of his hometown and Back to the Future too, and he's got to yeah. get back on the right timeline, perhaps we 
through our action, through our virtuous action in the development of our characters and the cultivation of wisdom together, uh, collective sense-making capacities, expanding them together in larger and larger numbers of us trying to work on these problems together, maybe we can make sure that we are in the timeline that turns out okay, the one where we actually thread the eye of the needle. Well, and I, we can feel when we're shifting into the other potentials and depression and well, anxiety. It's like I'm not doing what I need to do as a human being in this day and age right now. Well, that's, you know, I guess the the portions of ourself that have been built up through, as he's been speaking about, you know, it's 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 personal, but it's also like, you know, I don't want to say cultural, but us opposed to just me as we're going on and going on this is what builds you up and builds you up and builds you up and when you start to fail on that and you start to feel the anxiety about things maybe that's a natural mechanism to help it is an guide you survival. guide you down yeah. the right you know the right bifurcated fork yeah if you're avoiding time. something you need to be working on in your life your body knows it physiologically you feel it well, psychologically it, it depresses and well within this point of the axial revolution we've learned how to think of the world in in the universe as potentialities. So we can really truly feel like, well, I, I don't like this potential branch I see. Mm-hmm. And what was that word uh, that he meant when it's like, when you know, something's wrong. Oh yeah. And, yeah, and you said, it, yeah, it, it's just kind of like when you know, like you have crazy, a crazy. So I s- experience this a lot. I'm kind of a loud mouth when you like, well, I'm a loud mouth when you meet me in public. <laughs> um, if I think something's wrong, I'm going to bring it up, and I've been publicly shamed for it, but I have a very strong sense of acrasia, what's right and what's wrong, and, you know, like, I, you have to say something about it, like, that thing that draws you up to say something about it, like, no, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I've had dreams of, like, you know, the murder trucks coming down the road, you know, throwing people in and, you know, yelling at the top of my lungs, get out of the way, the murder truck's coming, Jeez. and, 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 that but this, that's the same feeling I get in real life when like you know you hear something that you know is wrong like even it's like well I, I've got it pulled up here I've got the research on it I've got multiple cited sources and everything I got to tell you about yeah. it. so when you see someone not living up to their character in some way well sure yeah well hey mom does it best you know like the the idea of mom is like well calling yeah. calling you oh, out yeah like, yeah yeah hey you're gonna hate me for this but I gotta let you know like you you effing up. <laughs> yes yes um and also if if there is such thing as a conscious that little that little person inside of you mm-hmm. the the adjuster of your thoughts and everything yeah the conscious. that thing must be experiencing acrasia all the time maybe that's like a personification of acrasia that i think maybe acrasia might be the psychological reaction to we're not in congruence with that conscience because the sure. conscience just tells you i don't think it has a preference no. i think it's just like a okay. deep it's like a deep wisdom that's almost like a compass. It's an inner compass. It just knows when you're on Somehow track. Somehow they're tied together. Though, know, it knows know, when you're like in tune with your purpose as a being alive in this miraculous cosmos, perhaps. It feels something like but that, doesn't it? Not you have it since you're young. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, like, and, you know, I, I will admit a lot of it is dictated on how you're raised and everything. Well, like culturally informed, but the wisdom is something that we've developed biologically as a species. Well, it's, I mean, it's in our genes. You can it's, see in the, so it's in many the ways that we think and act. So many brilliant wisdom people that have come out from infinite become, cultures that mm-hmm. have all come up to come up, like have these ideas and these thoughts and these realizations. 
So, like, yes, there is a, a cultural component that informs you. Sure, because that, we become there's... a social species. We yeah. get along with one another. Uh, we, you know, we sing songs to one another. We make music and art and love and all these things as, as a social species. So this is a very much a part of our actual biological evolution to have this capacity. Yeah, and it all goes, you know. To know when you're in congruence with reality, with oneself, for be- best optimized long-term survival and with your group. And if you're not interrelated with the group in some way, then you feel loneliness. It's a horrible feeling. Well, the worst thing you can do for a kid, as far as punishment goes, is put, put them in, in the, the corner, corner and turn yeah. them around so that you know, so they're ostracized yeah. from the group. Yeah, like yeah, this is powerful stuff. And mm-hmm. um, when we were at the show, I mentioned you know out back when we're all hanging out, uh, like the first like what is the first trauma you ever experience? And well, that's the trauma of being put down mm-hmm. after you bond with your mom. You're, you're mm. put down perhaps being born as well it might be yeah well best. yeah that's the ultimate separation but i think yeah. that's so traumatic that your brain but, but just then, goes but then, yeah, after the brain is really starting to become actually consciously aware outside of the body yeah, yeah. It's, it's still so used to being held when it's put down it's terrifying it's interesting but you gotta you know it's it's it's, it's, it's interesting like and i won't say all animals but it seems to be a, a constant within mammals to have like ev- even if it's just got to push like, them out of the nest eventually yeah and even if it's just the initial like being born and sticking around to the mom until you're done nursing you can you, mm-hmm. you can fend for yourself we still as mammals have that strive for connected with our families our family groups and our communities yeah yeah because yeah. even the most singular mammals like because there is a period other. of time where they other. are the group. It's the yeah. siblings and the we mom. We and, and look out for uh, one yeah. another, and we need that. This is a very yeah. powerful instinct that we can now, as the top of this hierarchy that he has on the whiteboard, mm. as, you know, not just thinking, you know, mindful creatures, but creatures that, you know, can aspire for more. Um, yeah, so rational is just not the scientific material. Mm-hmm. Rationalism is the ability to deline- delineate between various potentials that we have at offer in our experience at any time and to choose wisely and to develop that wisdom there's different practices and skills that we can take part in to further develop that li- that wisdom self-reflection self-inquiry well, sci- co- contemplation practices and science would be the tool so the tool right science is the tool that rationality mm-hmm. uses mm-hmm. If, if maybe that won't make sense i'll have to listen to it again but i think that's like science is the tool that rationality uses um, you know, because science, like in science, you have well, I, you know, what would happen if this? Okay, well, I'm going to create conditions and everything so I can make either this or not this mm-hmm. happen. It has to be able to fail, right? Mm-hmm. And then I have to do it, and then I have to do it again, and I have to keep yes, observing it, and then I have to change mm-hmm. it, keep track of my changes. But the rationality seems to be above the science. It's it's not. It's what rationality it's what allows you not, to employ science so, rationally. Yeah. Yeah. So science is informed by rationality, opposed to the other way around. Yes. Um, our abilities to our ability to cultivate our <laughs> what what is it? Our virtual engine. Well, yes. So, like, okay. Such that we can wisely use these tools. Is that's that's the ultimate goal? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is is. No wonder we have a bad response to people that don't pay, don't take care of their characters because mm-hmm. the character is that or the ra- fact that we're that, not taking care engine. of the world very well, well right now. You, that's see, this, though, you, like if within your character you have the governor, 
which keeps you from going too far too fast and exploding. Mm-hmm. But on the other end, you have the generator, generator. that gives you – well, if you don't have a – More so gas than you need. If you get. don't have the generator aspect within your character, well, then that's the sloth component where you just don't do anything and then mm-hmm. the engine sputters mm-hmm. out. But then if you don't have the governor in, it's, then you explode. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, why you don't take running. the governor out of the, out of the little, like, you know, gas-powered golf cart you have. Yeah, it'll go faster, but you'll blow the engine up. Yes, but, yes. So it's, 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 you have. We lose a lot of artists at 27 for this reason. They're burning like bright candles. Yeah, well, you know? yeah. But no rest and. Well, and then also. Going all out. And maybe there's nothing wrong well, with that. That's Think just about all the brilliant, happens, brilliant scientists that happened. did horrific things to other humans. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. They, they had still plenty are. of the generator, but yeah, they didn't all, have, they didn't have the governor to. We're all still guinea pigs, you know, for cereal and yeah. microplastics. And no, and other God things that else. must not be no. named. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, we want to keep ourselves online here. Yeah, yes, yes. We love you all. We, we, we love you, too. People too. who think we're crazy, we Zuck, love you, too. Suck, we love you. Yes, so Zuck, very much. we love you. We wish you'd come back. I want to see, th- I want to see the light in your eyes. Uh, come back home, come Suck. Come back home, man. The come dirt, back home. The dirt is good. We have plenty of smoke. I think, no, I think there's there's goodness in him there's I think goodness, he's just there's goodness even in disconnected the most, well there's goodness in the soroses and and in in all like in the carl schwab there's, there's very few actual sociopaths i don't know about carl schwab that well guy's dude even sociopaths have goodness in them i've got okay some okay okay they, i'll they, give they, you they, that but psychopathic sociopaths perhaps? well there's goodness in them but then also it's like what can you do but you're making an, a valid point like regardless if you've, even if we can find goodness every living being deserves love Somehow that seems intrinsic. That seems like the right orientation. Well, and, and, and from my mercy, from my point of view, is if Ahava Hesed, mercy, love. If if I can't see the ultimate spark of goodness in God within the devil himself, I have failed. Right. I remember trying so, to understand the Iraq War, and I was like trying to understand but, how can I love if I'm supposed to love everybody? How can I love George Bush and Dick Cheney for this? But also the wolf wants to. Then eat Then I realized me. they're afraid and they're they're gluttonous, yeah. and so that means they're hoarding because they feel like they don't have enough and they need more and so, more and more and more to feel secure well, and. Well, you can open the opportunity for the wolf to join you around its fire, but you got to realize it's a wolf. Mm. Yeah. So you can hold these two things, like you know, this is my conundrum. How do we appeal to the puppy dog within? Uh, yeah. you breed him into a pug you make cartoons <laughs> of them like little bush but yeah right um but you know like my, at least my, we can my, laugh my, my conundrum is to realize the danger with say within an individual but also still have compassion and love for them mm. um and just because i have compassion and love for them doesn't mean that i'm gonna invite them into my home mm. um i think that's naive yeah. to do that but that doesn't mean like you know like if i saw carl schwab and his car was broken down he's got a broken leg and he just got mugged and all of his shit took and he was by himself mm-hmm. and didn't have any connections yeah i'd probably give him a ride to the hospital mm. and that's love hate yeah. is saying screw that guy and then stomping on his head that's yeah why that's Oof. why i don't in- yeah. in- no, engage it's... in hate and i don't use that word much anymore well how do you spread more love around the world unless you demonstrate precisely that and intentionality to, to help decrease someone else's suffering because we are all, we are all in this together yeah no oh, yeah no we are we're on a tiny little ball like literally space at, yeah. at enorm- enormous speeds so mm-hmm. yeah we're the all in this together skinny. yeah yeah, yeah we got this skinny shell of atmosphere but that's how to be 
more human than human like what he's talking about the highest aspiration of the last step is how do you live up to the highest moral standards of being human and and in my mind is having love having love for the light of god that is in the devil Mm. because nothing in my mind is outside transcending our previous ideas we keep growing our capacity to love and to cultivate that capacity for meaning and belonging and to share that with others and it feels good to share it with others too man it does. Like, that's that's yeah. that's the thing i'd love to ex- express to y'all at home and like my friends that I, you know i don't really get to talk a lot about this because most people you know most of my friends are just like hey man you're going too deep on me bro but it's like dude like it's really fun to get into this and you it's don't fun. you don't have to be at super high level intellect for this either mm-hmm. no this is something you know? we all need each other to figure out well, when we're Together. all perfect, we need, we need perfectly built mind and it. body to be able to do this. Yes. And, you know, literacy, yes, it's going down in recent years, but it's still not the hardest thing in the world. No. And, you know, watching something like this with us, you will definitely increase your literacy. Yeah. You will definitely grow yeah. the brain. Yeah, well, yeah. And you will create new connections, new understandings, new capacities. And it's worth it. Well, at it, least be it. inspired. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's definitely worth it. Highly. Yeah, and it's... This calls back to Krishnamurti again, and he, I remember he asked a psychotherapist once, when somebody comes to you and says, I'm depressed, what do you what do? you do?" And he's like, well, you know, I ask them different questions about their life and this and that, and he's like, okay, and then ultimately you tell them what it is about them that they can fix and improve, because it's, so he basically then goes on and says, do you ever tell them that their depression is the world's, not just their own? And this is a really key insight, I feel like. If we are disconnected with the reality of our day, then we're going to feel a sense of disconnection from life itself in general. And when our species is currently at this point to where there is so much happening in the world that does really call for as much considerate, wise attention that it can get if enough of us aren't doing that if you're not seeing enough helpers out there generating actionable hope in the world then you're going to feel depressed you're going to feel anxiety in the world you're going to sense the social breakdown going on around you and right now as it magnifies intensifies and accelerates i do feel that we are all feeling that we just went through a pandemic where they had us all locked up inside and whatever one feels about that we still all became more introverted uh, closed off, disconnected from one another, and it's it's a thing that could affect us negatively if we did not have this capacity for wisdom. Thank God that we do have this capacity for self-reflection as we well, go and, through this. And what is wisdom? It's the development of character, which is character is the thing, is the conditions that allow you to transcend. Yes. Your so, are you living up to your yeah. potential? Is a very valid question for us as humans. Yeah, because we are a social species. So now, and this is what makes it hard, is because we are a social species. Are you fulfilling your promise? Is connected to how well we are. Our society is going to be functioning, and we know this intrinsically, deep down, subconsciously. So, when we start to see the world become unsettled around us, we know we're feeling unsettled inside. We're not doing anything to improve ourselves. We know that it's only going to get worse out there somehow intrinsically. And when it's happening on a global level that you start to see social breakdown occur, it's for me, it's kind of alarm bells going off. This is time for us to really – I was having a conversation at the bar after the show with Jesse and the owner of the bar, Poe, 
And I said, and I was saying, this is a time for us to turn up the art. And they thought I said, mm-hmm. turn up the heart. And and I was no, like, that's hey, just as good yeah, or even oh, better. Yeah, yeah well, art, ha- good art has heart. And I think good art is comprised of heart. So therefore, yes, both. Of yes. Them are, yes. If, if we, if we want to see a more stable, functional, functional, peaceful, safe, secure, and sane world, then we can be better to one another. We can start to reunite even if there are people that we have severe disagreements with, we can figure out what's the compromise. How can we be conciliatory, conciliatory towards one another and create a more stable environment for our fellows, for ourselves, and those that come after us? And in doing that, you find the most deep, resonant sense of belonging you could ever wish for. You become a part of humanity's story. Like, we're here right now, and we are about to go through the eye of a needle. Hopefully, and we're pr- and you get to take part in that. We're the part of history that is definitely going to be written. This is yes. This is the a peak and video climax and part of our story. Yeah, yeah, big time. And so right now is probably going to be the most salient lessons that we have to give to the future because of the technologies that we have. As you know. Or video recorded right now. It's more than just paper or print being dark on paper. Now it's actual video. Now it's actual audio. Now it's actual eye podcast. Actual eye podcast. It's, it's high definition. Are. Yeah. Yeah. High fidelity streaming, immediate access to any information, and people talking live about the very things that we're facing right now in the world. This is this is how that we can utilize the technology that we have to. Re- rapidly accelerate our solution making potential that we have as a species and we are miracle workers we've gotten ourselves out of some crazy crazy corners and hard fixes and we we somehow managed to thrive in these moments we can actually surf the apocalypse we can skirt the (laughs) precipice surfing that nuclear wave man yeah right yeah i think that's the name of a band too surf the apocalypse i'm pretty sure it came from a book before all right, well, not, not shouting out a band, but if they're any good, let us know. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, did we uh, where else did we, uh, did we have anything else that we want to cover here? I don't know, that, but this episode this hit hard. Um, it's, it, it, it was a lot of information, and I'd, I would advise going back to Verveke's channel and watching this yourself without the commentary and then For come sure. back of course and watch us again with the commentary and maybe leave some commentary of your own but yeah any questions or comments that you have we can actually answer them in the next video yeah because i think this this episode is a particularly pivotal pivotal point that pulls a lot of strings mm-hmm. together into the center of this web that he's trying to make mm-hmm. he is anansi the spider spinning his yes he's recapitulating the meaning crisis deeper mm-hmm. and deeper and deeper more detail and definition is being yeah. given to it and how we may awaken from it because these are two sides of the same coin. That that all starts to come into play increasingly as right. we go through this. God knows we need this. Uh, we like I, I know it's cliche, cliche to say, but like we need to wake up. We need to continually, yeah. And then in never consider yourself fully woke. Always be awakening. Yeah, but like. In all honesty, man, we cannot be too certain. I'm I'm a pretty positive person when it comes to like where we're going as humanity, but we're at a point right now where I'm really tempted to be pessimistic. You know, we're we're yeah we're 
Well, we've been pessimistic about the future for a long time, and, and I've been through that personally, and I, as a species, we, we go through that in stages as well. I'm, I'm worried. I've well, we're upset with the direction that we're going as a species, and internally we're recognizing I'm, I'm that. St- I'm starting to understand what, you know— We're looking for others to blame for that. Great and great-grandparents felt going into World War One and World War Two. This is what I'm feeling. I'm mm. feeling like we're at the point right now where— we're at a brink, and you know, in World War One and World War Two, those were world wars. But I think this is a war within the spirit and the understanding of mankind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the stakes are very, very, very high. Um, and I don't want to be a complainer. So no, it's all because thank it's you also for the bringing most me exciting. on board. Yeah, absolutely, this, dude. But uh, it's also the most exciting time. We're yes, seeing well, all of our ancient dude. wisdom traditions, yeah, all these ancient well, religions I, now inform each other. The idea of God to us continually is growing dude, up and our capacity well, I'm, I'm to transcend you, our previous. I'm glad you brought that up because, like, you know, even though I have such anxiety for where we're going, I would never, I would not want to be alive at any other point in time past or future right other than this point of time yeah yeah sam this like it's yeah and that's why i want to definitely share not this. boring <laughs> you know i want to share this with people so that they know you're not alone if you're starting to feel the destabilization going yeah. on like who isn't right now but a lot of us have been really like paying attention to stuff and trying to look for answers and solutions and it's hard to find the helpers but once you find them you, you recognize them like it's it's a chime going off Mm-hmm. When you encounter somebody like Verveke, and this guy is—he's not partisan. He's not winning one side or another. No, he's, he's just very uh, just curious, a human, loving human being that has developed his wisdom through his studies. And he, I mean, this guy's at the cutting edge of AI research right now, among other disciplines that he's involved in as a cognitive science scientist. But his work is actually helping us as a species develop the. Um, hopefully a more moral moral wise use of this high level technology um so it, it's good to know that he's one of the people helping us progress ai because yeah. we, uh, yes, we need guys yeah, exactly yeah. like him to help us because it's inevitable you don't want some despotic government to develop something that is super powerful first before there is something at least developed by more benevolent intentions to also help rejuvenate potentials in humanity as others might be shut down well what what we create is going to be a reflection of us and which reflection do we want to give them yes indeed so yeah you know we're gonna have to go into that age of you know ai and potentially seeing ourselves really very much be like what we saw is what created us hmm you know, well, when we create an AI, will we be a god that feels good about it, or, or are we going to be a god that feels lacking? Mm. Really? Yeah. yeah so. so yeah, so let's let's choose the timeline timeline that we want to be on here, and and may humanity awaken from the meaning crisis. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of Actual Lie. Once again, I'm Chris. This is DJ. We got another show coming up October 22nd. We're going to be in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. That is going to be a whole day festival. Uh, I think that, we go out around like that, four or five or something. I have to look again at the flyer. What's the establishment's name? That's up at Love Drafts. Love Drafts. Not the one in the city, but they're. Love they're, Drafts Brewery, yeah, the actual yeah. Yeah, bar establishment. <laughs> I found not, out the hard Not way. the separate. <laughs> Yeah, you did. Yeah. No, I, dr- I drove into the city for their, like, whatever micro bar in there, and I was feeling real the, proud of micro myself. Bar, that's right. They have a satellite. Yeah. Yeah, this uh, is the main yeah. one with the, with the venue and everything. 
and the and the brewery attached. Um, it's a really really cool bar. There's like Nintendo 64s in the walls and yeah, don't yeah, play Smash this guy Bros. In Smash, and, Smash Bros. It's, <laughs> it's not yeah. Well, you just gave up my ability to be a Smash Bros. Shark. Well, I suck at Smash Bros. But you know. Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of Smash Bros. in against my friends yeah. when I was a, uh, probably a teenager when that game came out, the first one. I played like a lot of like Sega, like Road Rash and Sonic. That was good <laughs> stuff, man. Sonic was awesome. Watch out with the sidekick. It could you in Road Rash. Just be like, ah, I don't, sidekick. I don't think I ever played Road Rash. Oh, is that yo, like the that Mario was, Kart, Sonic Mario uh, Kart? No, Road Rash was a motorcycle game, and it was okay. like one of the early ones where it was just like you got your motorcycle and the it's like track, a side scroller yeah uh, a front scroller and, oh, okay, and the okay. track just turns but it was like starting to get good you know it's like, the, i remember they had the racing in sonic 2 where you could do the split screen and oh it wasn't the sonic one the the, yeah no i played sonic and road rash oh road rash lot. is a different game yeah okay. road rash is sonic just a themed. motorcycle game okay yeah oh yeah, uh, maybe yeah. i vaguely remember but it was one of the old school ones where the road would come at you and you you know, you yeah. turn right and you turn left and like sidekick your buddy. It must have been weird to program racing games back then before. Oh yeah, had when 3D it was top scroller. It was, yeah, it was top yeah, scroller, so it wasn't. Yeah, so you'd make the road narrow and then we'd just widen as it. Yeah, it's all animation. One of these and yeah, uh, and, and really good programming. Oh man, yeah, give it up for the people who could do that kind of stuff, man. Seriously, man. Yeah, you need rocket. Well, now they're at the point where they're making AIs. They're, they're to make games now. They're programming, encoding, informing. The not just rich physics, but actual yeah. AI, AI intelligence. Yeah, a lot, a lot of that cutting edge is happening in games. Well, and and so we were talking about this outside. Like, what is the grand mover? The grand mover that prime is, mover. The, the yeah. prime mover. Excuse me. Is grand the, works is the thing that can create the conditions and restrictions and everything to make all of this. Well, we're getting to the point now where we are the reflection of God where we can do this in video games. You can create your own mm. physics in video games. Mm -hmm. And then you can install your you can actually act through the avatar in the video game. Yeah. You embody yeah, yeah. this digital being. Hey, you just know. like life somehow embodies us. Well the sincerest form of flattery is uh, mimicry. Awareness. So Yeah. I, I I hope God is flattered. I hope so. <laughs> We're really trying to mimic yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It remains a great a great mystery. Yeah, and greatest. all of I think the world's great religions help inform us as to what that thing is that will never that is immeasurable, that we'll never fully know. But we can know it through the practice of love. Yeah. And unconditional love, I believe, will get us there. So I'll continue to speak on on that as well throughout these and as I as I do on my podcast for previous listeners because it gives us a handle right here and now like what can I do in this moment well love is going to be at the core of it yeah, it it's self care it's in order to be able to better care for life and others around us um, if you're trying to solve a deep conflict look at it with deep consideration. Be very considerate so you can consider the wide range. Put yourself in different perspectives. Try to understand all the other perspectives as well as you can without being repulsed and pushing away against them as we typically do. Have no conditions. Be unconditional with this orientation of this thing called love and that we have capacity for. There may be a period in time where you push against it, but just because you did once doesn't mean that you have to always. Mm -mm. You, know, you can push no. against things and be like, okay, hold on, but... 
and they come back and if mm-hmm. it's worth it yeah and i mean like psychologically in. yeah like incensed like angered deeply sorrowed by whatever it is like initial the initial affront is a natural thing that can happen and then how long you let that fr- that activity be charged up and acting inside of you you know you don't want to hold anger for too long you don't want to hold depression for too long you don't want to hold anxiety for too long you certainly don't want to get recursive and keep going back through them over and over again once you've learned everything you can from being depressed perhaps for instance after a breakup or something like that well and then you start to apply all that you got to apply things in life yes um you could do that in the good way which is well the lessons learned but then also the negative way where yeah we call it very easy to get neurotic yes yeah to be jaded, to be you're jaded, be neurotic, to, stuck yeah. in it, yeah, revisiting that loop over and over and over again. Once you've learned everything you can from a sadness, give it love. Yeah, just love it, love it for the experience, for the and wisdom gained, and harder grow on. Than you ever did while you were sad. <laughs> when you really let go. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, then now yeah. the love is made. The, but then you're free and you're like open and yeah. relaxed. The, the good cry, yeah. it's like a good rain. Yeah, because, right. yeah, that, I mean, that's trauma. Like, you'll revisit something yeah. because the body thinks it needs to protect itself from that thing, but that thing isn't always there in the environment. Yeah. And you got to be able to delineate, and you got to be able to let your walls down and be able to feel spacious and alive again. Uh, rejuvenate, juvenile, young. Rejuvenate. Ah. Yeah, reborn, reproduce. Rejuvenize. Make, revitalize. Make it, yeah, yeah, revitalize. Yeah, yes, that vital yes. energy oh, of, yeah. of new creation. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I've been DJ. I've been Chris. We love you. Love you guys.